Well, we're going to continue this week looking at the life of Joseph and how he's a role model for believers today and especially in the last days. And just looking at some of aspects of his life. And, and in one sense, Joseph is a product of a godly line that kind of progressed from the beginning, uh, from the work that God did, you know, even before the flood. Um, you know, one commentator kind of pointed out how there was a progression in, the, in faith in each of the lives of the patriarchs and those godly men. And I, I wanted to present an adapted version. I changed a few of the descriptions, but I thought it was a really neat thought. And I've got a slide that shows this, but it's, you know, Enoch, he shows the walk of faith, right? He walked with God and for 300 years, then God took him. You know, Noah shows the perseverance of faith, how he had to endure and was faithful to endure the judgment and the flood. And there's a part of that that we have to endure the judgment coming in our day, in the last days. Abraham shows the obedience of faith. He had to obey and lift that knife up and he was going to do it, except God held his hand, withheld him from doing that, but he had to obey. Isaac, he shows the fruitfulness of faith. Talks about how he sowed in the land and brought forth a hundredfold. Jacob shows the power of faith, right? How he wrestled with the angel and then he, is, he was changed. He got a new name, but signifying something new done within a new nature. And then along those lines, we could say that Joseph shows the triumph of faith, how he rose up from uh, the depths to the heights to rule the nations. And, and so this is what I want to look at uh, this morning with Joseph is the triumph of faith. And kind of to, to understand that how that is our ultimate destination on our journey of faith that God has prepared for us. If we follow God, whether in death or life, our destination is one of triumph. Now, before we go any farther, we need to define what triumph is because the world has a different perspective on what it means to triumph. Uh, you know, one person's triumph is not necessarily what God would have for the next person. Uh, you know, we might consider Joseph's outcome of how he became the ruler. We might say, well, I'll take that. That's a good triumph to have. Uh, but we also have to consider the depths he, he went to. And when we consider that, we say, okay, Lord, only if you're calling me to, to experience that. Uh, you know, but the triumph for Joseph was to rule over the nations, over Egypt and all the nations that came in famine that he sustained. But yet triumph is different for each person because God's plan is different for each person. We can understand that from Hebrews 11, uh, you know, where we see that list of, of the familiar list of the saints that have been discussed. But then the writer goes on and talks about others and summarizes almost a whole category of saints that we don't know a ton about their lives, but he just refers to them. It's not, they're not ones we immediately recognize, but we understand that they walked in great faith. 
In Hebrews 11.36, it says, Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings and moreover bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. That's an encouraging ministry. (laughs) But here's what's significant about them is verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves, and all these having obtained a good report through faith. Even though they didn't receive the promise up to that point in their life, they have, they, but they had a good report by faith. There's a ton of things that you can glean from this passage. Um, firstly, from the world's perspective, their end was not triumphant. Right? The world could look at them and, you know, well, it's described what the world thought of them and what the world did to them. You know, they were mocked, scourged, bound, imprisoned, stoned and slain and much more. And so the world would say they were failures. But God says the world was not even worthy of them. The world was not worthy to behold uh, or walk with such men and women of faith because the world didn't appreciate how precious they were. The world just mocked. The world always mocks what's precious to God. They thought they were just the least. But that's a part of our journey and our perspective of faith. We're to have the right perspective as these saints did. There has to be a firm separation between from that perspective of the world, of what the world defines as triumphant, right? Our perspective has to be, Lord, what's triumphant for you? What's triumphant in heaven's sight? Instead, our goal has to be verse 39. These obtained a good report through faith. And that's such an important verse. That's really a kind of a hidden gem of what we are to seek after, what's the purpose of our journey of faith? It's to obtain a good report. Other translations say, having obtained a good testimony. That's the purpose of our life. Or there's a translation called the CEV. It says it this way. It says, all of them pleased God because of their faith. They pleased God because of their faith. The implication is their walk of faith, their journey of faith. And so the key and the goal of our journey is to obtain a testimony, a testimony of faith and a life that brings pleasure and glory to God. Not because of any strength that we possess that there's any sort of greatness that we can say, oh, I'm, I'm great and I brought pleasure to God. No, it's, it is 100%. We just made ourselves available for the, for the potter to form something beautiful, to do a beautiful work in us, and it brought him pleasure. Now, we can be a, a naughty piece of clay and be resistant, you know, be lumpy, you know, or go through the, the fire and crack because we had impurities in us, or we can just fully submit to God's work and allow him to transform us into something beautiful. 
that pleases God because we've lived a good testimony, a life that pleases Him. And so God desires to do a good work, and many have obeyed, many have suffered to allow that work to come to pass. But in that, God looks down and He smiles at, and He rejoices over the beautiful work He's been allowed to do. That's the triumph of faith. And so we see God working in Joseph very deeply, very intensely, because God had a, an intense uh, place He wanted to bring him to, a high place, an important place. God took him to the depths so he could lift him up to the heights. Now, God lifted Joseph up to, some, to an exalted place uh, in the natural, to natural heights as the ruler in Egypt. But I think how we need to look at Joseph is that what God did in Joseph's life in the natural is a picture of the spiritual triumph he wants to bring us into as believers. He wants to bring us in to that place of glory where we're bringing him pleasure, where we're sustaining other people, where we're, we're ruling in our, in our situation. But in the spiritual realm, as we walk by his faith, there is a triumph that God has for us like God caused Joseph to triumph. Now, we're going to look at a lot of the aspects of Joseph's life and what he went through and what prepared him and how he overcame and so forth. Um, a lot of that we'll look at in later, a few, few later messages in the series. But there's something I wanted to consider about Joseph's faith, of how he had faith with God and what that faith did in him. And, it, and it's really how he was able to keep his eyes upon the Lord. And that's what faith does. Faith keeps our heart and our eyes just focused and directed upon the Lord. And we walk by faith, the eyes of faith, not by the eyes of our natural sight. And so somehow, Joseph, in all of his intense trials, he was able to keep his eyes upon God. And that's what's so remarkable. No matter what the, the circumstances were, he triumphed through faith. Now, there's uh, a commentator said this I thought was really kind of a neat, uh, neat thing, so I included it. But he said, Joseph was loved and hated, favored and abused, tempted and trusted, exalted and abased. Yet at no point in the 110-year life of Joseph did he ever seem to get his eyes off God or cease to trust him. And that's what's so remarkable about Joseph. Of, of all the people in Scripture, he had kind of like the most opportunity and the most, you could call it reason, to get upset at God or to have a reason to, to just say, oh, I give up. Here I am. What, what can I do in this situation? But yet Joseph always was able to keep his eyes upon the Lord and have faith. Now, we don't have a lot of specific descriptions of that taking place of Joseph's conversation with God, you know, about that, you know, like you can read in the Psalms. That's what's wonderful about David. You read him in, in Samuel and Kings, but then you read the Psalms and see how he it was what he was saying to God in his heart 
we don't have that with with Joseph, but I think that that we can understand that was taking place. In each situation, Joseph was able to triumph. He was able to overcome. As a slave, Potiphar, Potiphar saw something in Joseph that said, this is a man worthy to govern my, govern my house. He's not a man that's given up. He's a man that's triumphing in so many words. In the prison, the, the prison keeper said, Joseph, you're a man I can trust with the keys to the prison. Here you go. He saw something in, in Joseph's heart that he's a, he's a man who can, I can trust. He triumphed. And then, of course, Pharaoh saw something in Joseph where God had prepared Joseph to be the ruler under Pharaoh. You know, in all of these things, God was working and Joseph did not give up, but he kept his eyes firmly upon God, trusting in his plan, trusting in his deliverance. I don't, uh, it's kind of clear that Joseph didn't really know the plan of God, or especially at least the timing of God. You know, he, he, he said to the, to the butler, tell Pharaoh about me, get me out of here. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't have a word from the Lord about every aspect of his trials, but he had faith that God would turn it for good and would deliver him. We do have a picture uh, of, of how his faith, faith was operating at the end of his life. And it, it's explicitly described in Hebrews. And it says this about Joseph in, in Hebrews eleven twenty two, By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. So he told his children, when you, one day, God's going to deliver you and take you out of Egypt. Don't leave me behind. Take me with you. I want to be buried in the, in the land of my inheritance, in the land of promise. I find it interesting that out of his whole life, the writer of Hebrews chooses to bring this as the example of faith for Joseph's life. But I think perhaps this reflects the whole purpose of Joseph. Jo the main thing he wanted, right? I mean, it was not just ruling in, in Egypt, that was a segment of his life. The main thing that Joseph wanted, the main purpose of his faith was to be buried in his inheritance, to have a good end. Because that was a symbol, him being brought to, uh, to the promised land and buried in the land of his inheritance, that was a symbol of, of him completing the plan of God for his life and for, for his people. That was the divine plan. And so Joseph's eyes were on the plan of God to the end. He wanted to complete his good testimony and please God and to do his part in the grand story, in the tapestry of God working in the earth according to his divine plan. I use that word tapestry uh, because there, there's something that I was just kind of popped into my mind. I, I was just kind of typing and you use that word tapestry. I was like, well, that, that's an interesting word to use. And I thought of something that's called the Bayou Tapestry. Any of you ever heard of the Bayou Tapestry? Well, it's a tapestry in a, in a monastery in France, in a church in France. And it was made 
almost a thousand years ago. And it was made to commemorate the Norman conquest of England, which culminated in the Battle of Hastings in 1066. And it's over, I've got some pictures of it. There's, the, there's a small section of the Bayou Tapestry. It's over 70 meters long. Let's show the next one there. And so you can kind of see some perspective. There it goes down, down the way. All right, it's, it's over 70 meters long. It has embroidered characters, each one telling a part of the story of what took place. And you know, God, in a similar sense, has a tapestry of men and women of faith who are following him throughout the ages. His tapestry is really long. I don't know how many meters it is, but I can tell you how many, approximately how many years it is, and it's thousands of years that it's spanning. Well, it's 6,000 years so far, and it's going to go on. And so God has his tapestry of those who walk by faith, not by sight, of those who follow him, of those who have a part of the glorious story of faith according to his plan, and we all have a part of that or have opportunity to be a part of that. You know, that was the goal of the saints of old. They endured to obtain a good report, a place in God's testimony of faith of those who triumphed by faith. And that's our opportunity as well. Now, there's just a, a couple of points I wanted to bring up about Joseph of what it takes to have those eyes of faith that would cause us to triumph because there's things God asks of us in order to walk by faith, in order to triumph in our difficulties. Now, the fundamental principle about faith is that it's based upon God's word, right? We can quote Romans 10 and verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we're going to make it through our trials of preparation in order to reign, one of the things that has to be accomplished in us is that we are founded upon God's word, upon his word of life, his written word, his quickened word to us by his spirit. We have to be founded upon it, uh, upon the practice of seeking his word, being directed by it, feeding upon it. I think one of the most remarkable things about Joseph and his story is that all he had were those few experiences at home. He had some dreams, and I, beyond that, we don't really know what he had to prepare and sustain him. I mean, he had, had a relationship with God, obviously, and it's remarkable of how he triumphed with that. And, and then when you think of what we have, we have a whole book of God's word written to us. All of these promises, all of the power available to us as we study, as we give ourselves to it, as we open our heart to his word and allow his word to work in us, as we discern the voice of the Lord. But his word br brings faith, produces faith, is the source of faith. 
And so we need to hold on to His Word. We need to, in fact, we need to have an iron grip upon His Word uh, because if there's anything we know about faith, it is tested. Right? Situations will, will come to test our faith and what it's trying to do is it's trying to grab a hold of that to get it out of our hands, to pull it so that we let go and release it. And then when we release faith, and then we're like that ship that's just tossed up and down in the sea and, and so forth. But we have to do, as the Apostle Paul said in, in 1 Timothy 6.12, where he said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, which means laying hold upon his faith, upon his word, upon his promises, upon, you know, maybe he, he, God would even give us dreams or give us something in our hearts to hold on to. Well, if he gives it to us, it's because there's a reason that, we, that it's something we need to hold on to because it'll get us through. And so God will allow us to be tested, our faith to be tried, but it's doing a work. As we can see in Joseph's life, Right? There is something we can see about Joseph in the Psalms. Right? We can't really read his thoughts, but we can see what the Word was doing in him. Psalm 105, 17. It says, God sent a man before them, before Israel, Joseph, who was sold for a servant whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his Word came. The Word of the Lord tried him. And so the psalmist is recounting the plan of God to preserve Israel. And a part of that plan was Joseph being sent on early. Right? Sometimes God sends those, those that have to go before. They go early to prepare the way. And that was Joseph. And a part of that plan was Joseph being sold, imprisoned, being hurt, experiencing injustice, even suffering. But in that suffering, a beautiful work of preparation was taking place. Another reading of the Hebrew phrases in, in this verse, in verse 18, it, said, it can read, his soul came into iron or iron came into his soul. God was testing Joseph and purifying him. And each one of those tests was putting almost like an iron resolve within his soul, within his spirit to be able to do God's will, to be able to walk upon the pathway of faith, to be able to function in the position God had ordained for his life. Charles Spurgeon said of Joseph, he said, iron fetters were preparing him to wear chains of gold and making his feet ready to stand upon high places. You know, that's our calling. We're called to walk upon the high places, the spiritual heights of the mountains of God, but it takes a work of preparation, of strengthening our legs and our feet and our hands to, to go in our journey, to be able to walk upon the high places and not fail and give up in the tests and in the trials. You know, God's concern in our tests is that we, we wouldn't fail, but instead we'd be made strong. You know, the tests are not to make us weak. Well, they're to make us weak in our own strength, but they're really designed to make us strong in God. They're designed to accomplish a beautiful work. 
Jesus said something remarkable about the apostle Peter in Luke 22 and verse 31. He was giving Peter a little heads up, a little warning. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. If the Lord spoke that to me, I think I would give a shudder. <laughs> okay, Lord, help. But, but then here's, here's something that makes up for it. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. And, you know, that's what he's doing today. He is interceding for us before the throne of his heavenly father. But what is he praying? I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned unto me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew Peter was about to go through the biggest test of his life. And he wouldn't do so great. You know, he, he didn't exactly pass that test, but yet the test was designed to do something in Peter to break, maybe break a little bit of that pride and, you know, wanting to be number one, to bring in some humility. And it, it did it. It accomplished its work. You know, he denied the Lord. But, but you know, Jesus' greatest concern about Peter was not about what he would say or do. Jesus' concern was about Peter's faith, that his faith wouldn't fail, that he wouldn't give up. Instead, he wanted his faith to be ultimately strengthened through that experience. And so that's what Jesus was praying. He was praying that iron would enter into Peter and that he could become the rock upon which the church would be built. And so Joseph and Peter and many others in Scripture, went through these terrible trials in their faith, but a beautiful work was done. And it says about Peter, you know, kind of closing out his life of, and his test, kind of a testimony of him. 1 Peter 1, 7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And as we are able to endure the trials of our faith that are going to come, the trials that are going to test our faith and try and pull it out so that we're kind of floating without anything on the waters and in the storms, but they're coming to accomplish a purpose that will come out of those stronger that will come out purified, will come out beautiful and glorified. Or as Peter says, will come forth as gold. Speaking of the work that God wants to do in us, that's much more precious than anything in this life. And his purpose and what he wants to give to us is that good report, a good testimony that pleases God, so that we might be a part of God's tapestry of faith, a faith that would cause us to triumph. God may take us through some trials to get there. In fact, I think we can fully expect that. If there's no trials, then we have to say, well, what's going on? But he takes us through them that we might come forth as gold and be found unto praise 
and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege and opportunity that we have. Lord, that you're, you're presenting before us that pathway of faith, oh God, but Lord, even the opportunity to, to, be, to be a part of your household of faith. Lord, to be, Lord, one who could be a court in your tapestry of faith. Oh Lord, in, in the great uh, story of what you're doing in this world, oh God, and in the ages to come. Lord, we just cry out to you, Lord, that you would give us strength even today to walk in your way. Lord, help us to lay hold upon your word. And Lord, to feed upon your word, to follow your word, to inquire and cry out for you to lead us by your word. Oh God, would you do that work in us in a new and a fresh way, we pray. Oh, establish us by faith that we would have a good report for all eternity, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.